Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Happy St. Andrew's Day, patron saint of all the Scottish people all over the world. We first encounter St. Andrew in the Bible, of course. And my goodness, are we seeing some biblical pictures from the Holy Land these days. There's Herod, otherwise known as Benjamin Netanyahu, determined to slaughter the firstborn, secondborn, third, fourth, fifth, and sixthborn of all the innocents. There are people passing by on the other side of the road, unlike the good Samaritan. There is slaughter and blood everywhere, and a widespread aversion of eyes amongst the powerful in Western countries, at least. If you're watching on any platform that allows you to share, then I urge you to share now for reasons I will explain in just a minute or two. We are being suppressed at just under 3 million viewers per week, all or in part on all of our clips, on all of our platforms. Seems like someone somewhere has decided that three million is the very maximum we will be allowed to go. So let's break the ban, break the suppression, press share right now. It's going to be the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, the reason I know that we are under widespread and systematic suppression of our view count is that when people put up a pirate edition of our clips, they very often achieve 10, 20, sometimes 30 times more views than the official production. We don't mind, we count those numbers too, but it's an obvious sign that someone somewhere has decided that we are getting too big for our boots. And I have to single out for the first time in these last uh, uh, 295 issues of the mother of all talk shows, the platform many of you are watching on right now, YouTube. Our YouTube numbers are being systematically suppressed as a deliberate matter of censorship. And I don't mind, you know, we can find other places to go. But I wouldn't like YouTube to think we hadn't noticed or that you hadn't noticed. As President Erdogan said more than a decade ago to Shimon Perez's face on a platform, you're good at killing kids, aren't you? There's the latest one. The 62nd child murdered in the West Bank, not Gaza, nothing to do with Hamas, murdered in the West Bank since October 7th, was Adam, such a holy name, the first human, the first man. But this was no man. Adam, 
was shot dead by an Israeli sniper today on camera. A little boy of nine. I have myself a little boy of nine. He was playing in the street. Obviously, he was unarmed and he was shot through the head by a grown man with a sniper's rifle in the uniform of the Israel Defense Force. How such a man can sleep tonight knowing that he murdered a child, like Herod, he murdered a child this very day for no reason, just because he could. So many images, so many episodes of this last 55 days will remain with all of us forever, unfortunately. We will never be able to expunge them from our minds. This is a Guernica, every day and every night, except very, very much more deadly, very, very much more destructive. There's no Picasso around anymore to capture it in paint, but Guernica in Gaza is captured forever on tape, on film. We will remember all those incidents, all those children, all those women, all those men that we saw destroyed, their lives extinguished on a lie. The lie that this began on October the 7th. The lie that this is a war against Hamas when 2,000 pound bombs are being dropped on hospitals and refugee camps untargeted 2,000-pound bombs who kill anyone in the vicinity of where that bomb lands. The lie that this is an anti-terror operation, when in fact, before October the 7th, periodically, year after year, decade after decade, exactly the same things have been happening. The lie that it's about one particular Palestinian organization, when little Adam belonged to no organization on the streets of the West Bank today. And neither did the hundreds who are being massacred in the West Bank today, ruled by our Western friend, President Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the Palestinian National Authority, an arch opponent of Hamas. It's his streets, like Jenin, its town, its camp, that are being ethnically cleansed and subject to genocidal violence today. And all these hypocrites who walk by on the other side of the road, who pretend to believe that this began on October the 7th, who pretend to believe uh, that it's against Hamas, are doomed, I believe, for eternal damnation. And certainly, in this life, they will never be allowed to forget the role that they have played. There are many, many examples. The Al-Shifa hospital, which didn't in the end have tunnels or a command and control center under it, the media simply moved on having repeated that lie as a justification for the invasion 
of a hospital in breach of all international law, all laws of war, all of the judgments of the Nuremberg Tribunal. The media endlessly repeated a lie, which when it turned out to be a lie, they simply forgot, or rather hoped, that we would forget. There are many families that are in my eyes whose orphaned children I wish I myself could adopt and bring to safety. But unfortunately, none of the babies in the premature babies section of the Anasar Hospital in Gaza will ever be adopted by anyone, will ever be seen or held by their parents again. There are occasions in wars when war crimes take on an historic dimension, quite disproportionate to the numbers involved, like Guernica itself, where comparatively few people were murdered in the very first aerial bombardment of a city, the great Spanish city of Guernica. Such was the Anasar premature baby story that broke in all its ugliness today. The parents were sitting by the incubators with their premature babies and were forced out of the hospital on pain of being shot, as were then the staff. And the premature babies were left, five of them, to starve to death in a premature baby incubator, starved to death, their bodies decomposed, have now been found. Now that people can re-enter the hospital, five babies decomposed, murdered in cold blood by grown men, like the grown men that murdered Adam in the West Bank today. I want to ask you, what kind of man did that? What kind of man left those five babies to starve to death alone in their incubators? And what kind of a man turns his face away from that fact? What kind of a man or woman in power in any Western country cannot find a single word of condemnation of that crime. This is Lidici. This is the Warsaw Ghetto. This is a Holocaust. This is the murder, the slaughter of the innocents. And apparently, according to Netanyahu, it's all about to begin again. The ceasefire they routinely broke in any case. They killed people on the streets of Gaza, trying to reach the rubble that was once their homes to collect some rags that they could change their clothing with. They moved their murder to the West Bank and went on a killing spree there. They murdered people in Lebanon. They murdered people in Syria. They didn't observe the ceasefire in any case, but at least the bombs 
stopped falling at least on Gaza. But according to Netanyahu, it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. According to Netanyahu, this ceasefire will be allowed to elapse and it's business as usual, the business of murdering children in the refugee camps, in the teeming alleyways of Gaza. It's murder as usual when this ceasefire elapses. So I want to spend the next few minutes explaining to you some basic facts that I'll be deeply surprised if they don't become a reality. You see, if the plan is to murder each last Palestinian, or if the plan is to drive the 2.3 million remaining Palestinians into the sea or into the Sinai desert, that is bound to fail. If the plan is to murder enough people in the West Bank as to stampede two millions of those into Jordan, bringing down the monarchy there, destroying the modern Jordanian state, that will not succeed either because the Palestinians will not leave. They will not go into the sea and they will not go into Sinai and those in the West Bank will not go into Jordan. And so the only alternative open to Netanyahu is to murder all of them. And if you think that's fanciful, you know nothing about modern history. You know nothing about the history of genocide if you think that such a thing could not happen. But for this, the powers in the West are betting on the collaborators in the Arab world or the quiescent in the Arab world. Some are collaborators, some are merely quiescent, some are evil, some are merely gutless cowards. Everything is being bet on those gutless cowards never finding courage, never finding that they can take no more, that this far and no further. And I believe that's a very dangerous bet indeed. Because some of the quiescent, some of those who've been quietly playing footsie with Israel under the table for years are now unable to do so any longer. And some of those quiescent countries now have new leaders of stronger metal uh, who are more determined to live up to their responsibilities. And some of the collaborators, like King Abdullah in Jordan, have had to make it clear that they cannot go on putting up with this, that they cannot accept the West Bank being driven into Jordan. They will not accept the equation of Geert Wilders that Jordan is Palestine and Palestine must be Palestinian free. They will not 
cannot accept it. Jordan is a powder keg. Half of its population is Palestinian. Two millions Syrian refugees. At least one million, maybe two, Iraqi refugees, Arab nationalists, supporters of the former regime of Saddam Hussein. There's not enough water in Jordan for any more people. The economy is bust. It cannot, even if it wanted to, absorb ethnic cleansing from the West Bank. And so if the calculation of Western leaders is that the current configuration of political power in the Arab world will allow Israel to carry out a total all-out genocide, they are wrong. And then there is the axis of resistance. It's a real thing. The Lebanese resistance which has been fighting on a relatively low level in the north of the country, cannot possibly stand by if all-out genocidal war is Netanyahu's intention. You can't speak for decades about the Zionist entity and its crimes and then remain in your bunker if such an eventuality begins to take shape over the next days and weeks. Ditto the steadfast Syrian government, its own territory in the hands of foreigners. Israel seized the Golan Heights almost 50 years ago will become impossible for it not to make the effort to recover its own territory and thereby come to the aid of the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. Ditto in Iraq, where a huge fighting force of resistance with long-range missiles, which they have used sparingly, but used daringly, will not be able to stay out of the fight. Neither will the brave people of Yemen. And then there are the non-Arab actors. Iran, the most steadfast of all of those standing with the resistance, resisting the American-Israeli axis, will not be able to stay out of this conflict. And then there's Turkey. Every one of you is betting on Turkey continuing business as usual. And it's a lucrative business, to be sure. 40% of all of Israel's oil traverses Turkey in a pipeline coming from, to their eternal shame, Azerbaijan. Other economic and political relations exist between Turkey and Israel. Don't bet on that being able to continue because I know the great Turkish people. I know the masses who were at the Galatasaray Stadium this evening with their chants for Gaza, with their banners for Palestine. I know the mass, the deep 
mass of the Turkish people whose patience has been sorely tried and whose government will surely be forced into action if Netanyahu's war continues. So if you're listening, President Biden, Premier Sunak, President Macron, Premier Schultz, you better persuade your new best friend, Benjamin Netanyahu, to extend this truce into a ceasefire, to lift the siege, or this is quickly going to get much, much, much more worse. It's the mother of all talk shows. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, Professor Syed Mohammed Marandi is Chair of American Studies at the University of Tehran. He's one of our most learned and most popular guests, and I'm glad to welcome him back to the Mother of All Talk Shows uh, this evening. These are very grim times, Professor. Uh, I don't know if you heard my uh, opening uh, comments, uh, but if you uh, did, kindly uh, opine uh, on them. And let me know, if you didn't, that uh, what you think is now going to happen. Can Netanyahu really be allowed to resume mass slaughter in the next few hours? Well, he wants to continue with the slaughter and so does his government and from the polls that we've been seeing overwhelmingly israelis want to see mass slaughter but i think the americans are very worried they understand that their interests are at stake here the axis of resistance that you were alluding to as you rightly said, is a real thing. We saw not only Hezbollah and Lebanon defend the Gazans through the battles alongside the border and forcing a huge portion of the Israeli army to go to the north, but we also saw how Ansarullah in Yemen uh, fired drones and missiles and also took uh, three or took and damaged three ships of the Israeli regime. But also very important is the fact that 
the Iraqi resistance. They've been harassing American bases in Iraq and the bases in Syria, which of course are illegal. And I think that all of these combined uh, is very threatening to the United States. I think in, in Syria and Iraq in particular, these bases are small and far apart and they're very vulnerable. The Americans are actually being very foolish by putting these troops in these areas, which uh, can easily be, easily be targeted and uh, be overrun if there's a serious battle. So the risks are very high. And I think this is a sign in itself that the Israeli regime, which used to be once upon a time considered as an asset of the United States, it is really a burden now. It is detrimental to the interests of the United States and the Europeans. It has caught it. It costs the United States uh, a great deal, not financially only, but the United States and the Europeans have destroyed their credibility over the last couple of months across the world. People across the global south are looking to the United States, looking to Europe and seeing that they are a part of this genocide. This is something unprecedented in human history, where we see a, geno a genocide taking place in front of a global audience. And simultaneously, as we've, we're watching this for the first time live, we see Western governments say, the war must go on. We can't have a ceasefire. I was in I was invited to China a few weeks ago. The Chinese were outraged. They are today outraged. In fact, just a couple of days ago, uh, I spoke to a, a key uh, academic, an influential academic, and he said, not only are, Chinese, are the Chinese outraged by what they're seeing on the screen, but no Chinese business in future is going to invest in Israel. Israel is not seen as a stable and uh, a country that is strong and independent and a place where someone is going could, could invest in. So they've lost China. I've been to Russia again as well. Uh, I, I was invited by two universities. The mood is anti-Israeli. So this is something that we're seeing literally across the global south, India side. The Israeli regime is not only being diminished itself, but it is diminishing Europe and the United States in the eyes of the world. And so the Americans recognize this. They recognize that in their conflict with China, in their conflict with Russia, they're losing global public opinion. They are the brand America is wrecked and destroyed. So any further war is just going to hurt the Americans more. It's not that the Americans and the Europeans are against genocide. No, we've seen them support it. The issue is not that they care about human rights. They don't. But they are afraid that this is going to benefit their rivals when their rivals are seen as behaving in a humane manner and seeking justice, whereas they are supporting supremacism, racism, exceptionalism, and brutality, genocide, and another holocaust. You're a professor of American studies, of course. How do you account for, I mean, I suppose you might say, well, look at Germany, they've committed suicide. But how, how do you account for the absolutely ironclad consensus which exists across the political class 
all the way to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, in support of a land far away of 7 million people, a considerable proportion of them Americans, by the way, uh, why would you destroy your global capital, political, cultural, social capital for someone like Netanyahu? I think there are a host of reasons. One is, of course, uh, the Epstein effect. And I'm very, I'm absolutely certain that there are more Epsteins out there than we think, and that they have a lot of dirt on a lot of people. I think that's one issue. Another issue is sheer arrogance. This empire, the Western empire, the American empire, together it's been around for centuries. This Eurocentric worldview is deeply embedded in among the elites across Europe and especially the United States. The United Washington is a bubble. The neocons and many others continue to think that the United States is the indispensable nation. That's what Biden just said in his recent op-ed, if he had anything to do with the text itself, I have no idea. <laughs> but we know that that term came from Madeleine Albright, the same woman who said, 500,000 dead Iraqis due to sanctions was worth it. Uh, you know, they, she said that the Americans stand taller and look far further than other nations. That's exceptionalism. And that exceptionalism is very similar to Zionism. Zionism is also exceptionalism. It's a chosen people. They're above and beyond, uh, above the rest of us. And so there is a sim similarity, you know, city on the hill, the United, the, the Puritans, and so on, manifest destiny. There's there's striking similarities between the United States and the Israeli regime. So there's this arrogance too, but also there's Zionism, and I I personally believe that it's not really. Uh, I think it's Christian Zionism that is more influential, more dangerous, and more powerful than its. Uh, so-called Jewish counterpart. The uh, obvious next question then, uh, although I know the answer, I'd, I'd be interested in yours. Uh, that's the reason for the United States stand. What's the reason for the almost, with the exception of Belgium and Spain, uh, almost a complete phalanx of European governmental, and not just governmental. You know, um, if you put up a Palestine flag at Glasgow Celtic Football Club, the European football authorities will fine you scores of thousands of pounds when they were well, handing out Ukrainian flags at the football games just a few months ago. Uh, it's, it's not just the government, it's these civic society is so completely behind Netanyahu. Why? A part of it is really the same. This Eurocentric world that we've seen for centuries still thrives in the corridors of power in London and Paris and and Berlin. Uh, this this arrogance and and racism that uh, that that exists among these elites. But uh, I think there's also a strong element of subordination to the United States. They destroyed, you, you alluded to this, they destroyed themselves during the Ukraine war. They sacrificed Europe 
for the Americans. The German economy has been destroyed. The Green Party led the 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 the, the battle to destroy Germany for the sake of the United States. So Europe is not has no role to play in the world that we live in anymore. It is simply a sidekick for the Americans. In Iran, we discovered this during the negotiations. The, the Europeans really don't have any, they don't carry any weight at the negotiating table. And now as they are destroying their economy uh, because of Ukraine and because of the cutting off relations with Russia and the absence of Russian gas, it's going to simply get worse. So again, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of arrogance. It's a combination of a sense of Eurocentric exceptionalism and racism among these elites. You were deeply involved in the anti-war movement in 2003. You know this better than perhaps anyone else, that everyone in the UK almost literally was against the war. But the BBC, even the Guardian, all the media outlets, even the, the so-called uh, loyal opposition, the, the 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 leftist media, literally everyone was pro-war. And those who stood against the war uh, in the media, as soon as the war began, they began to support the boys. So it is a hopeless cause for anyone to to uh, have any hope in the current political establishment, whether in the United States or in London or in the UK or anywhere else across Europe. The only hope is for a greater awareness. And we are seeing that take place. We are seeing this awakening take place across the global South. People are seeing these outrageous imminent images and, and, and you see huge numbers going to the streets in the West. And, one point that I think is very important, and that is that actually the ceasefire is a big mistake if the Israeli regime wants to continue with the war again. Because the outrage that we've been experiencing for weeks has angered people, and this is something you alluded to at the beginning of the show, has angered people across the world. But now we've had a few days of relative quiet of course, we saw outrageous scenes just from the West Bank today when they killed two children, when they murdered them. But the relative quiet now, if this is if this ends and we see the beginning of a second wave, a second genocide, I think that the anger that that will create across the world, the world will be much more intense than that of the first wave. Professor Morandi, always a pleasure and a great experience to hear your wisdom. Thanks for joining us on the mother of old Thank talk you. shows. I'll take a quick break and be right back. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Lara Elborno. Palestinian-American, an international lawyer, and a podcaster of great success and note, joins me now from the United States. Uh, welcome, Lara. First time we've met, but I have seen your podcast, and excellent it is uh, too. Uh, talk first of all, because I, in, in the past I've done speaking tours of the United States, talking to the 
American, Arab, and Palestinian community, boisterous, big, particularly in places like, uh, like Michigan and so on. Uh, how much bigger and how much more active is the community now, 20 years on from when I used to do it? Well, certainly uh, Palestinian Americans, Arab Americans, Muslim Americans more broadly um, have become very vocal in this moment as we watch Israel commit genocide against Palestinians in Gaza. Um, there is a real sense of a need to speak up in this moment, given the atrocities, given their scope and their gravity. And certainly um, the community is doing everything that it can to organize. And we're seeing um, efforts of retaliation, people losing their livelihoods, people being fired, um, efforts to smear, dox and harass um, Palestinians and their allies. And this is part of the landscape that we're seeing right now in the United States. Now, three of your community were actually shot and attempted murder against them uh, just a few days ago, and someone's under arrest uh, for that uh, crime. So, and being fired from your job uh, is uh, is one thing. People are actually uh, people are trying to murder uh, members of the community. Uh, what self-defense mechanisms are you able to put in place? Are people guarding mosques and so on, for example? You know, I'm not really aware of whether there are self-defense mechanisms being put into place, whether mosques are being guarded or not. I mean, I can tell you that, um, you know, Palestinians um, have been targeted in this moment before those three college students who were wearing kifias and shot for wearing kifias in the street. We also saw the young boy in Illinois who was stabbed to death in his home by his landlord. Um, these are obviously very shocking, very atrocious um, attacks on Palestinians in this moment. But let's be very clear that this is the result of deep anti-Palestinian racism that is being sowed by the U.S. government and the corporate media who have our blood on their hands, who are absolutely criminal in this moment by continuing to push the Zionist narrative, the narrative that Palestinians are not civilians, that there are no civilians in Gaza, that we are all guilty and that we are all legitimate targets. That's how you see the emergence of these types of hate crimes. Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, you must be heartened uh, by at least two things. Uh, one is the scale of the mobilization, the demonstrations, the protests in virtually every city uh, over the last 55 days, uh, and one in Washington bigger than any other uh, that we've seen before. And secondly, uh, the salience of American Jews uh, opposing Netanyahu, opposing the genocide. Talk to that, please. Well, I think you're absolutely right, George. I mean, I think this really speaks to the fact that the world can only watch so many videos of Palestinian babies and children being pulled from the rubble in their pajamas with their organs outside of their bodies, with multiple limbs missing, being treated without anesthesia, if they're even able to um, obtain any treatment at all since Israeli attacks on the Palestinian healthcare system has caused it total collapse. Um, before starting to question uh, who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed in this uh, situation. I think the world can only hear so many um, statements of genocidal intent on the part of Israeli officials calling us animals, saying that the children of Gaza are at fault, uh, and, and so on, before they start to question this deeply dehumanizing discourse um, of an entire people, um, a people who I think we have to keep putting into context have been 
under siege for 16 years, have been occupied for 56 years, and have been uprooted by the very entity which is committing the genocidal onslaught today. So something is not right with this paradigm, and I think people are finally starting to wake up. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, the racism stems from, I was talking to a professor uh, earlier in the show about it, it stems from uh, this, uh, I think, nebulous feeling that Israelis are people like us and uh, Palestinians are other. I've got to say, looking at you and listening to you, you, you strike me as much more people like us or people like I wish we were. Uh, this uh, false dichotomy, uh, has survived even the emergence of highly qualified, highly successful, highly eloquent Palestinians in America like you. How? Well, look, I mean, there's a massive propaganda campaign. There's a massive propaganda campaign that's being carried out by the Israeli government and its supporters to get you to believe exactly this. But what you don't hear is that Palestinians have the highest literacy rate in the region at 97%. What you don't hear is how educated we are. What you don't hear is that we are doctors, we are lawyers, we are engineers, we are journalists. Um, just in this moment, Query, why is it that Israel has killed over 200 doctors and health workers in Gaza and over 70 Palestinian journalists? Why is it that they have targeted the most educated, the brightest um, um, uh, people in Palestinian society in Gaza? This is an intentional policy aimed at exterminating all of Palestinian society as a whole by targeting the best and brightest. Um, it's a deeply, deeply distressing moment to watch this um, unfold and to see that the US and the EU and the Western powers continue to greenlight what is literally the world's best documented genocide in history. There is no doubt about that. There is no genocide that has been more well documented than what we have seen today. And similarly, there is no genocide where the genocidal intent has been clearer. In fact, numerous genocide scholars have come out and said that genocidal intent, which is typically the most difficult element to prove when you're trying to establish whether or not genocide has taken place, has been so clearly established in this moment by the statements of Israel, uh, Israeli military and government. And so um, it's a deeply distressing moment, George. I, I, can't, I can't emphasize it enough. It, it deeply distressing, and I've seen many such moments. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. I can't think of uh, a darker moment, maybe the massacres of Sabra and Shatila, though that was uh, particularly personal uh, to me at the time, but I can't think of a darker moment than this. Uh, now, we're all familiar, particularly in the United States, of the PEP phenom phenomenon, the progressive except Palestine. Uh, uh, is that uh, much in evidence? I mean, for example, I well remember all these Hollywood actresses cutting their hair uh, uh, over the death of one young woman in Iran. In fact, a whole movement uh, began uh, on the, the basis of the death of that young woman. Uh, thousands of women have been massacred in 55 days. Is there much sign in Hollywood, in the Chatterati, in the liberal circles, in the universities, uh, of uh, an uprising against this? Ditto, uh, I myself am pro-life. Uh, but where are all the pro-lifers in the United States over 
the murder of five babies in the incubator in Anasar uh, Children's Ward, uh, online, available to watch this day. You know, I asked myself the same question. Actually, right before I got on with you, I was speaking with my friend Yusuf, who's actually um, a PICU nurse at Al Nasr Hospital. And those were his patients. Those were his patients until he was forcibly removed from the hospital and forced to evacuate south, leaving his patients. Um, and while at, at one point Israel had said that they would allow the Red Cross to potentially evacuate those babies, that never happened. And they forced them to remain there while their families and all hospital staff were forcibly expelled from the hospital. These babies died a horrific death. They starved to death. They were dehydrated to death. They froze to death because they were removed from the incubators because Israel cut off all electricity to Gaza because they bombed the oxygen tanks so they didn't even have oxygen. So they also suffocated to death. I can't think of anything more horrific than to subject a preemie to this. Um, and um, we see very clearly the double standards by those who proclaim that they support um, babies, that they support mothers, that they support families, but in this moment are, are silent while these atrocities take place, not only take place in some remote corner of the world, but take place with the funding and, and, and the arming of the United States. Every American should be speaking up in this moment. It's our responsibility. It's our tax dollars which are financing this. It's, it's, it's the US government which is providing diplomatic cover for this genocide. So we are we as Americans are deeply responsible for what is happening in Gaza and, 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 the, and, the, and the horrific moments that these families are living. When you consider that the majority of the people who are killed are women, and our children, and that the world has not mobilized yet to call for a permanent ceasefire, we know that humanity is deeply, deeply uh, troubled. Now, how does someone like you go out and vote for Joe Biden uh, next uh, November? And there are hundreds or thousands, maybe millions uh, of uh, people like you that would probably have done so, uh, even if holding their nose and only because of who his opponent was. Uh, I mean, you can kiss Michigan State goodbye, can't you, if you're the Democratic Party? Better not to even turn up there uh, to campaign. But how much is this going to hurt Biden's re-election, do you think? Oh, this will hurt him deeply because he relied, of course, on uh, the votes of the Arab and Muslim community in, in the United States. Um, they, they have historically been more likely to vote Democrat and um, they are um, they desperately need those votes. So um, I think, you know, of course, I will not vote for him. Um, of course, in this moment, I never want to hear anyone make the argument to me again that I must vote for the lesser of two evils, because if this is the lesser of two evils, what conceivably could be the greater evil than what we're witnessing right now. Um, so for me, it's very clear. I, 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 feel, I feel very solid and I think uh, I speak, um, I think many of the Arabs and Muslims um, in the United States would agree with me that he has 100% completely lost our vote and it, there is no going back from this. Lara, uh, I think I speak for the whole audience uh, when I say uh, we are tremendously impressed by your contribution. I hope you'll come back again to the mother of old talk shows. Thanks very much for joining us uh, this evening.
You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Let's talk with Chuck in New York on Palestine. Chuck, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you, George, and thanks for everything you do. Free Palestine from the river to the sea. Thanks for starting off with the uh, discussion about the kids. Um, everyone must remember, before this war, rock throwers would be shot in the head also, besides the poor martyr Yes, you know, today. Um, the kids, it's incredible. I, I, I saw a story about one of the kids' parents or relatives that was saying, the child, I, I think it was six years old or something, was treated like a queen by the people holding them. I haven't seen anyone show anything, any footage of uh, Palestinian prisoners being released like that and them waving and smiling, smiling not just for being free, but smiling because the people that held them treated them so nice. <laughs> anyway, that's yeah, pretty much it. You're uh, right, Chuck. Uh, the, the, the Palestinians are emerging from the Israeli dungeons uh, where they've overwhelmingly been held without charge. Israel keeps calling them terrorists, although uh, the ones that have been released are women and children who have never been convicted of anything. Many of them, uh, like uh, Ahed Tamimi, who will be released tonight, God willing, uh, have, uh, have been held under administrative detention uh, introduced by the British during the mandate when the Zionist movement were running around uh, trying to murder British policemen and soldiers. Uh, so uh, the uh, people are emerging from the Israeli dungeons uh, with uh, their limbs uh, broken, uh, scalded, scarred uh, in wheelchairs, uh, and uh, so on. And of course, none of them have a good word to say about how they were treated in those dungeons, in sharp contrast to the testimony of released hostages, uh, either from their own mouth or the mouths of their relatives, and the civilizational uh, juxtaposition is very clear for anyone who wants to see. Last word to you, Chuck. It's prisoners versus hostages. Why is that? Um, everyone yeah. that's been held by Israel, they're prisoners. Israel's creating war crimes. And Israel has picked up more prisoners than have been released recently. So we yeah. have to do something here. I right. Thank you so much, George. God bless you. Thank you, Chuck, for that great call. Uh, YouTube comments are flooding in. Marco Mata says, I was born prematurely too, so thank you very much for mentioning these poor babies that were killed. Truth by Design says, it's so dystopian uh, that we are all seeing these egregious war crimes being committed for damn near two months. And Paul Meany says, why is it a very weird and dangerous question? why Netanyahu said 9-11 was the best thing that helped Israel. This is, isn't the type of stuff someone normal would say unless they had a hand in it. Well, normal and Netanyahu are not words that should be used in the same sentence. Stig is in Finland. 
just to show what a global university we are. Go ahead, Stig. Yes, I have been following this genocide. With um, I'm just so shocked that uh, that um, this can go on and that it obviously will start again now because if Netanyahu is not stopped and uh, there seems to be no 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 real pressure put on him from those that could put that pressure on him and that is the West. Not only the United States, but also the EU. The EU is the biggest trading partner of Israel, in fact, bigger than the United States. But the European Union is also not doing anything in order to stop this genocide. And we have the Commission Chairwoman Ursula von der Leyen has been all the time, we stand with Israel and obviously not with the victims of Israel, but with the leadership of Israel. And and it's just laughable when Israeli representatives uh, claim that they are trying to avoid civilian victims. I mean, we also have the UN General Secretary has commented on that, that that, that simply isn't true. And he is, by the way, a former prime minister of the NATO country, Portugal. So he is hardly an anti-Western figure. Very well said, Stig, uh, and undoubtedly true. Nobody elected von der Leyen to speak about foreign affairs. Uh, in fact, uh, she's exceeding even the brief that was given to her only by fellow members of the bureaucracy. But Borrell has not been far behind her in his uh, venal uh, comments. Uh, a little behind her, but not far behind her. The, president, the Prime Ministers of Belgium and Spain are the only two uh, who have broken from the pack. Macron uh, broke from the pack and the very next day capitulated uh, to the pressure that was put on him. And don't get me started about the British uh, politicians. Thank you, Stig, in Finland. More YouTube comments. History always lies, says we're in a zombie world. We all died internally long before the first child was killed in Gaza. Our state of existence is as bad as being dead. And Andrew Holt says, that one got me, it broke my heart, that little girl being picked up in the legs and arms fell off and she died in their arms. My God, how can you do that to these little children, babies, mothers, fathers, families? Indeed so, Andrew. Let's take a pause and think about that. Sam is on the line in Buckinghamshire in England. Sam, what would you like to say? Well, first of all, Mr. Galloway, I have to thank you immensely with immense respect for what you're doing and to tell you how important it is that you give a voice to all of us who don't have a voice. And you, for those of us in the West, you provide clarity, which we need. Now, I, I would like, if I may, thank you, I'd like to um, um, reinforce, if I may, what Professor Maranchi from Tehran had said when he pointed his finger at Christian Zionism in the United States. Mm. Now, I, am, I myself am Christian, but of another sort. I'm Eastern Orthodox related to the Palestinian Orthodox Christians who have been wiped out. Okay? But he's correct to point to Christian Zionism as a major force propelling this problem. And I would like to indicate um, a parallel between Zionism, 
of that sort today and manifest destiny of the 19th century. Both of them are predicated on the same bizarre principles with the same results. Manifest destiny was the belief that God had given the same sorts of people, in the United States, I mean, um, the continent, and that the conquest of the continent was a manifestation of that destiny. In this way, the Palestinians are like the American Indians. Anyone who survives a genocide is rounded up and put in, in reservations. So this has um, quite a bit of, of history. Um, my voice trembles um, because of the horror of what is happening. But unfortunately, it's not new. But we all have to stand up. Uh, Sam, uh, Sam, if your voice can tremble with indignation against any injustice anywhere, you are a comrade of mine, said Commandante Che Guevara, and I echo his words now. Uh, the trembling with indignation evident in your voice is well-founded. And the comparison that you make between Zionism and the manifest destiny of the white invaders of the American continent uh, is entirely apt. That's why uh, President Arafat was so sensitive to it. That's why he said to me a hundred times, I'm not exaggerating, a hundred times, I heard him say, we are not the Red Indians, uh, by which he meant, uh, we will not go into a museum so that people in future generations can gaze upon our artifacts, our uh, embroidery, our clothes, our way of life, uh, visit uh, a teepee in, in Disneyland. Uh, the determination of the Palestinians not to go into the museum is precisely the core of the problem. It's as if the Apache resistance, the Comanche resistance, and the resistance of the indigenous Americans had never ended. They never accepted defeat. They never surrendered. They never stayed on the reservation. They never accepted the ethnic cleansing uh, justified by manifest destiny. And we, we were brought up, uh, you and me, uh, although I rejected it at an early age, very early age, we were brought up to believe it was the so-called Indians that were the savages. Uh, we were told that they were the ones scalping people when in fact the scalpers were on the other side. We were told that the indigenous Americans were the savages, but the savages were those who were ethnically cleansing them, massacring them, stealing their land, stealing their resources, all in the name of manifest destiny. So uh, the point that you make is entirely accurate. And I just want to ask the audience and the world more generally, were the Apaches terrorists in resisting the onward march of European settlers 
who sailed the seas to come to their land and steal it and to murder their families, extirpate their existence? Were, were the Apaches the terrorists or were the settlers the terrorists? How apposite was that call from Sam in Buckinghamshire? YouTube comments, Coding says, Gigi, you're wonderful to speak up for babies. Our national leaders are just rubbish. Indeed so. Nino says, oh my God, I can't look at Twitter anymore. Will there ever be justice? Uh, Chris is on the line in Washington State, USA. Let's hear from him. Hello, Mr. Galloway. Uh, appreciate you taking my call. Uh, really learned a lot from your show over the last couple of years. I appreciate you doing this. I know it takes a lot of courage to put Thank out you. the information you're putting out. Um, I just really had a Thank quick you. question. It probably will be not a very easy answer, though. Uh, you talked earlier about the Balfour Amendment. You talked a lot about this in previous shows, the Balfour Agreement, where you uh, so eloquently put where one people gave to a second people the land that belongs to a third people. My understanding this Balfour Agreement occurred early in the 20th century, around World War I time frame, where most people think the settlement 1917, of, uh, yeah. Yeah, 1917 right it was. Yeah. Before Chris, Chris, before we even before we even possessed Palestine as an imperial possession, we gave it away. Go on. Well, most people, particularly here in, in the states, and I think probably Western Europe, most people believe that uh, the settlement, the uh, settling of uh, Palestine and creation of Israel was done following World War II and uh, the horrors that came out of World War II, obviously. But really, this all occurred back in the early 20th century, around where you said 1917, at the end of World War One, And uh, I'm sure World War II expedited the settlements, but it all started after World War I. Um, so this Lord Balfour gave this land to Jewish people to settle, and so Jewish people throughout the world settled in Palestine. Uh, my question is, knowing that governments, people, governments rarely do things out of the goodness of their hearts, what, what question, the, the question I never had answered is, why would Lord Balfour, why would the UK, the British do this, knowing, I mean, they're strategic thinkers, they know the conflict, the chaos that, that could, this could potentially cause, why would they make that decision to do that in the first place? What was the tit for tat? What was given to, the, to Britain, to Lord Balfour? Uh, in order to uh, do this amendment? Well, uh, a, a, terrific, uh, a terrific question, a terrific uh, call. Uh, let's answer it, your question, uh, in the words of General Storr, S-T-O-R-R, uh, the head of the British military, the military governor uh, of Palestine at the end of the First World War. He declared himself the first military governor of Palestine since Pontius Pilate, an inauspicious, uh, though uh, portentous, uh, comparison to make. General Storr said, uh, we are going to create a loyal little Jewish Ulster that will serve our interest in this region. Ulster being the six counties uh, of the north of Ireland, uh, which the British until now uh, retain as a, a colony. Uh, the uh, store's words uh, were incredibly prescient because 
That was its purpose. In the tumultuous years that followed uh, of the division of the Arab countries, cooked up by Mr. Sykes and Mr. Pico on behalf of the British and French governments, tremendous turbulence took place, and the loyal little Jewish Ulster was intended to be uh, Britons, to serve British interests for a very long time. But of course, the British Empire was already on the decline, though they did not know it yet. The sun was setting on the British Empire, and a new empire, your empire, the empire of the United States was rising. And so Israel became not a loyal little Jewish Ulster, but a loyal little Jewish Washington for the United States of America, playing exactly the role the British had in mind for it when encouraging the settlement uh, for the American interest in the region. Now, uh, the Balfour Declaration did not promise a Jewish state. It did not mention the word Israel, and it specifically forbade anything being done that would prejudice the interests of the existing population in Palestine, a promise which has, of course, been entirely uh, uh, abandoned and never even mentioned anymore. And then the United Nations in 1948 decided to partition the land, as I discussed earlier. Now, maybe we should go back to that partition. That partition was actually a much fairer reflection of the population balance in the country than anything that has been suggested as a solution since. But my bottom line is, is this. Nobody has the right to give my country away to somebody else. Imagine if somebody decided that your house in Washington State had to be given away to someone who'd come from Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso, who claimed it as their right for religious reasons. You would never accept that, neither would I. Nobody had the right to promise Palestine to somebody else. It belonged to the Palestinians who lived there, who owned it. And that is the fundamental essence of the issue. I was reminded, popped up in my inbox, no idea why, of the reason I'm wearing this hat, of the violent assault on me in 2014 in the street in London, where I was hospitalized by a BBC employee who savagely assaulted me in the street because six weeks previously, six weeks previously, he had converted to Judaism. That man, six weeks a Jew, had the right under Israeli law to go and return to somewhere he'd never been, nor his ancestors ever been. 
not just to return to Palestine, but to live on Palestinian land, live in a Palestinian house, whilst the owners of that land and that house lived in a cage in Gaza. Any idea, any surprise that the people in the cage, when they can, will break out and will not exactly be filled with thoughts of peace and love, wearing pussy hats and throwing flowers. I wish I could go on because there's so many people still trying to get through, but I must make time for the legend that is Norma in Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, it's such an awful situation in Gaza and Middle East. It really is, but something nice happened to me yesterday. And it's many thanks, George, for you and um, the Moats team for sending me a new little mobile phone. I mean, it was such a very generous thing to do and such a surprise because um, my old phone's now been binned. And I just wanted to say... Um, I felt very privileged, and thank you. Well, God bless you. We were greatly perturbed uh, when your phone died, just as you came on the air uh, on Sunday's show. And so my good friend Chris, the director of the show, nipped out and on behalf of all of us, bought you a mobile phone so that would never happen again. We need your voice. We love to hear it. Norma, thank you for calling uh, and bringing to an end what I think has been a, a very powerful uh, show. Don't forget what I said at the beginning about spreading uh, the clips uh, far and wide because others are doing their best to restrict uh, the spreading of those clips. And Simon in Florida indeed stole my thunder earlier because I was going to close by telling you that not only is the 29th of November uh, the National Day of Scotland, the St. Andrew's Day, our patron saint, it is also the International Day of Solidarity with the people of Palestine in the West Bank, in occupied Jerusalem, in the occupied West Bank, in the diaspora, whether as refugees or scattered, and, and learning, and learning how to talk with the crystal clarity of Lara from the United States earlier this evening. The Palestinian people did not go into the museum. Uh, they, they went to the universities instead. They became PhDs. They became educated people wise to the ways of the world. And they became fruitful and are now many, many more millions than can ever be killed by Benjamin Netanyahu. It's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, come back on Sunday at the earlier time of 7 p.m. UK and bring another viewer with you, please. We need your help. We need your support. And follow me on patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. 
and good night to my good wife who read the news earlier. Thanks.